Straight Talk Live, exploring human, digital, and social transformations. Welcome to Straight Talk Live. I am one of your co-hosts, Rick Snyder. I'm proud of this amazing venture that's a not-for-profit where we really dabble and dive deeply into the areas around human, digital, and social transformation. And really, what are the conversations we should be having now in this new context we're all living in? Um, how do we actually have those brave, courageous conversations in all the different sectors, uh, from unemployment crisis to education to technology, AI, how it's being used, supply chains crumbling and falling and new things rising? This is what this show is about. Um, I am the CEO of Invisible Edge and the author of Decisive Intuition, and I have the honor of announcing my cohort and partner in crime who has special news today, Af Moholtra. Af, take it away. Yeah, thank you, Rick. Uh, welcome, everyone. Absolutely delighted to be back on the show. I was off last week um, because I managed to um, managed to have a new entrant in my family. We had a baby boy. And so I would, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, a girl and a boy. So what a, what a combination. And I said to Richard, who's our guest today, we'll introduce him formally, um, that uh, I really want to be on this show because I want to have this conversation with him. And I said, I may not be because this is going on. So as uh, as destiny goes, I had the baby a week earlier. So I'm on the show and uh, I'm not doing any other work apart from STL because uh, I, I love it so much. And we have such amazing, inspiring guests like uh, Richard on the show today. So, you know, I'm the co-founder of uh, Growth Enabler, one of my uh, ventures I set up five years ago in the artificial intelligence space and data and insight space. And of course, uh, this uh, amazing not-for-profit that I've set up with Rick uh, about a year ago now. In fact, April is going to be one year, right? Um, exactly. Uh, 50 shows in April. So uh, we today we have a wonderful individual on the show. I think uh, someone who is um, not just a fantastic human being and well-versed and, and wise in many ways and spent many, many, many years in the corporate space. But more importantly, and I'm going to do a slightly different intro, if that's okay, Rick, um, for Richard. Please. You know, because I had the opportunity of um, reading parts, not all, so not all, but parts of his book, Restoring the Solar Business, Staying Human in the Age of Data. And the one thing that caught my attention, and we're talking as, as I'm a new parent or my second child so they're relatively young was when uh, and i hope this story is correct but um when you know you you said arisha then we'll introduce you in a sec where you asked your parents your mom and dad when you were young and you said hey listen i really want to be a writer and they said oh don't bother with that stick to mathematics instead until you have something useful to say and i guess you wrote a book and now you're just a fantastic um, blogger and uh, you know you've got this amazing newsletter which is how i discovered you so thank you for being on our show i'm going to ask rick to formally introduce you and then off we go on this uh, wonderful conversation thank you and congratulations thank you thank you very much yes and rashad why don't we just kick it off from there i mean obviously um you're an accomplished author so you you do have something to say and you have a lot of things to say in fact and we want to harness a lot of those nuggets of wisdom today. Um, we also know you're the former chief growth officer at Publicist Group. You've had a storied career in the corporate space and you've moved forward from there now. And really one of your passions that we've been tracking is just, you know, not only are we trying to upgrade our technology all the time and our systems and processes and stay up to date, which is almost impossible these days. There's also an area of attention that's been growing the last 10, 15 years also around 
leadership development and how do we actually upgrade ourselves? How do we upgrade our own operating system as human beings? How do we function and collaborate and connect in deeper and more significant ways with our customer, our colleagues, our prospects, our boss, our, you know, all of those different relational dynamics, and most importantly, ourself. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce you to um, this episode starring you. <laughs> so thank you for being part of here, our, 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 our show today. Thank you. Yeah. And why don't we just start with really briefly, um, what really got you involved in this particular angle of business and life around discovering the soul of a business and what's more heartful, meaningful? How did you, how did you come across that journey? I came across that journey in a few ways. The most important was for the last decade, a lot of the wealth creation in uh, the world has been driven by technology. And at the heart of technology is data. You know, whether mm -hmm. you basically have data writing software like machine learning or whatever it is, at the heart of it is data. And as a result, more and more companies basically um, said we need to emphasize data in order for us to both remain competitive, remain relevant, drive market capitalization. That was one. Mm -hmm. The second is as the world became global, the real common language besides English is data mm -hmm. that everybody can understand. Mm -hmm. And the third is as the world became more market driven, whether it be China or India, uh, what mattered more and more was what showed up on the spreadsheet, your cash flow, mm -hmm. your PL, your balance sheet. Mm -hmm. And I began to recognize that it was a good direction till it tilted so much that it tilted almost too much towards the spreadsheet. And I started to notice that if companies tilted too much towards the spreadsheet, they lost what I called the story. Mm -hmm. And the story of a business, while the spreadsheet is the data, the math, the yeah. economics, the story of a business is the culture, the people, its impact on society. And my thought was, everyone is running after this holy grail, but what if by itself it isn't the holy grail? Yes, it is important, but maybe it's not by itself the holy grail. And I started comparing companies that tilted all the way left, which is primarily spreadsheet, companies that tilted all the way right or remained all the way right, which is primarily story, mm. and then companies that found some balance between the two. Not necessarily 50-50, but 70-30, 30-70, things like that. And lo and behold, the companies that merged the two or combined or balanced, unified, and integrated the two, those are the three words, balance, unified, integrate, mm -hmm. were the ones that had the following results. Number one, they were more admired than other companies. Number two, they had lower uh, churn rates among their employees. Mm -hmm. They had higher net promoter scores among their customers, mm -hmm. but most importantly, their market capitalization did better than companies that tilted only on the left and right. Mm -hmm. So once I figured out how to use data to prove to people who were besotted with data, that data alone was not enough. I said, mm -hmm. I got myself a book. Right. <laughs> but I decided not to write my book with math. So most the first chapter is about it's called too much math, too little meaning. Mm -hmm. But I then said, OK, how do you get meaning and how do you balance the two? Mm -hmm. 
And you see this all over. Uh, you know, I, I make these examples. I said, look at any category. Look at United Airlines versus Southwest. Look at the old Walmart versus Costco. Mm. Look at Microsoft under Balmer and Microsoft under Satya Nadella. Mm. And what you'll find is massive differentiation in these three criteria of consumer, capital, and, and employee. And the winner always is the balancer. Mm. Mm. Richard, uh, thank you for touching on this. Um, I, have a, I have a more fundamental question around why are we in this situation in the first place? I mean, since post-industrial revolution, ha has business always been this way? Um, or did something happen at some point that pushed and directed CEOs of large companies and boards uh, to be more math-driven or data-driven? Or, 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 or was it someone who did this to the big organizations? I think the reason it became is primarily because it became easier and easier to deal with the numerics because of compute, computational technology, because of the ability to extract stuff from data by saying these market caps, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And it also became easier to deal with numbers than to deal with people. You know, I basically remind people that every strategist, every boardroom and every consultant has a wonderful plan till people get in the way. Yeah. Okay. And because people are messy, people decided to, to separate themselves from people, but it's much easier to make decisions through a spreadsheet. So, and, and also the spreadsheet started to look like a story when it wasn't because of modern graphic design, you can make numbers look like beautiful visual stories. Yeah. But at the heart of it, they're basically numbers. Mm, mm. Do you believe, um, I, I asked the question because um, I think, you know, I feel, and we, this is straight talk live, so right. we can have a straight conversation here. I think um, we don't wake up in the morning, no one wakes up in the morning um, not thinking about um, people. You know, you, you, you care about people, you, whether you're a leader in a company, a manager or a board level executive, you have empathy, we have compassion that differentiates us from machines and inherently we care. And so something bizarre happens when you enter the corporate landscape and the bigger you get, the more detached you get from this huge entity. And I do believe, you know, I'll throw it out there. I think consultants or the old school management consultants had a lot to do with it. I won't mention any companies, but you know, in the old days, the data-driven unit economic-based management consultancies used to come in. I was part of that actually in my early in my early career, where you know they used to say to the CEO, "You don't know what you're talking about." In effect, because you're very cuddly and cozy, and it's all about culture, but it's certainly not about numbers. You need to get tight with your numbers, and you need to understand unit economics, and that's where data was sold to the board yes and the yes. board was like oh my god what is this so do you not think who's culpable i mean it's can't it's just can't, it just can't I, I, I i i just i just believe it's the it's, it's a combination of the consulting corporations yeah the fact that data is so easily available and accessible because and you can get it increasingly in real time because it's not only that we, you have data but you have it second by second minute by minute and amazing amounts of it. And so what basically begins to happen is you can make false correlations all night long, yeah. right? And yeah. as, as someone with an advanced degree in mathematics, I can use mathematics to bamboozle you, to lie right. with mathematics far better than lying with right. words. Yeah. Right. 
right? Yeah. But most people aren't sophisticated. So in fact, in, in my opening chapter, I say, hey, listen, I will prove to you that if you just look at the numbers and ask yourself the following six questions, you will look at the numbers completely differently than you did before. And the questions have got nothing to do with the numbers. They're basically asking for one thing is, simple thing is, are these numbers true? Mm -hmm. Right? Second yeah. is, what are they measuring? Are they measuring anything that has to do with the question in the first place? Mm -hmm. Right? Third is, do these, when you all look at the numbers, you know, when people say it's all about the data, so I say, okay, let me, how about this? As far as I can tell, the information about COVID sort of reached a steady state four or five months into COVID. So, you know, early on, we weren't sure about, like, is it an airborne disease? Is it a touchborne disease? Yeah. Do we wear masks? Yeah. Don't we wear all of that? <laughs> about four months in, there was pretty much all the data was in there. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there was all this data. Data matters so much. Mm -hmm. Okay. How come New Zealand and Vietnam and Germany read one thing in it and the United States and UK and Brazil read something else in it? Mm -hmm. Which is a proof in point that the data never makes the decision, that the person who looks at the data decides how to read it. Exactly. Right? And so yes. I always tell people in a company, tell me who is reading your data. <laughs> if you don't have a diverse mindset and diverse people mm -hmm. reading it, you yeah. are getting nothing but junk out of it. Yeah. yeah, that's such a good point. I'm glad you're bringing this up because we do have data as the holy sacred cow that we don't touch yeah. because we think it is, oh, it's it's clear, it's objective, <clears throat> it's factual, so we can't challenge it. But as you're mm -hmm. saying, almost every scientific research paper is often has a bias of who's you know funding the research or what have you, where they can see the data a certain way or interpret it a certain mm -hmm. way toward their bias, which happens okay. all the time. Yes. And the most imp and the best people who can use data, like what I used, I knew how to use it really well. Mm -hmm. So every time I would make a recommendation, I would make two recommendations. I would make a recommendation using the data to show that I was right, mm -hmm. and I would use the data the data to show I was wrong, and that's mm -hmm. how I would start ah. a presentation. Mm -hmm. Wow! Right, and I said mm -hmm. I'm using the same data set to make completely two different arguments. Right, and in almost every case, you should you should be able to do it. That's cool. <laughs> I wish I saw that more often in board. Let, let's let's talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit more about that, if 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 we may, yeah. because that's very practical, right? So yeah. to, to unpack that a little bit. So let's go into a real life situation, if you don't mind. So yeah. tell us about the last time you did that, because uh, I think the audience, the, all the straight talkers, would want to hear this. So the the last time that I recently did it, without getting into too much specifics, yeah. is we had a major acquisition, the last big acquisition that publicist made while I was still there, uh, which cost us many billions of dollars. And I basically looked at all the different trends, all the stuff about this company. And I said, here is why I believe we should make this acquisition. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I had facts from everything mm -hmm. from the importance of identity, the importance of uh, marketers requiring um, direct access to their customer data versus leasing it from a Google and a Facebook and other people, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I looked at the trajectory of how the business was doing. Mm -hmm. I looked at market capitalization of companies that were more technology and data oriented. And I said, this is the reason why we need to make this case. Right. Okay? Mm -hmm. Then I basically used another thing, which basically sort of proved that 
uh, a some of them were sort of financial. This would put us into debt. There would be a whole bunch of people who'd say, why are you getting into this business? Why, if you don't have a better idea, why don't you return the money to us? Which has actually happened. Some of the our stock price went down. Investors said, like, what is this? You know, it's the same thing that happened to a great extent when uh, Satya Nadella at Adobe decided to buy Omniture, mm. right? And they said, like, what are you talking about? Like, you are in like Photoshop and other stuff, and what are you going into this data thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there was so I said, there's that story, but I said. Here's the other thing that you got to remember. There are some other companies who've done this. Some have worked out and some, it hasn't worked out for them. So I put that up, that thing up, right. right? And the third thing was, hey, this is also going to require us to increase our CapEx because we're going to have to, and it's going to change the culture of our company because these clowns behave differently than us, mm-hmm. okay? So I said, I put all the arguments together using data, using math, using all kinds of stuff. And I said, here's my case for, and here's my case against using data. Right. And then I said, I believe we should for the following reasons. My management said, you've made such a strong case for both sides. How do you know? Yeah. I said, that's what our job is. If our job could be done by a machine, we should be fired instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Right. So when somebody tells me that the number says this, and that's what I'm going to do, I remind them of three things. The first thing I remind them is, therefore, you should not have a job. I can read the number. I don't need you to come in and read the number. And if this is all about running numbers, by the way, modern computers can do numbers better than anybody else. So I don't need you. So that's number one. That means we don't need ourselves. So we have now become defunct. Second is when marketers say that, I say, okay, you don't understand marketing because marketing is we choose with our hearts and we use numbers to justify what we just did. Right. right. And then right. I asked them a very simple question. Tell me your last 10 decisions that you made. They tell me. So I said, okay, on this one, this one, this one, this one, explain to me how you use data. Right. Right. And, and I said, the reality of it is you've got to be very happy that your parents did not use data because your ROI would have been very terrible. The ROI <laughs> on children suck on a spreadsheet. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I said, mm-hmm. you make decisions not using that much data. Mm-hmm. Your job is adding to data, it isn't reading data, mm-hmm. right? Every single thing basically proves to me that data is like electricity. It illuminates, but rarely can differentiate. Which company goes around saying we use electric power better? You only say that when many companies are in the steam age and you're in the electric age. But now mm-hmm. every company is in the electric age. Now there are a few companies, maybe you know, out of the Fortune 500, maybe two dozen, where data is a true differentiator, you know, mm-hmm. obviously some of the big tech companies, maybe a MasterCard, a Visa, you know, a few companies like that. But for yeah. most companies, it's not at all. I said, every piece of data you have, I can buy. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. So in this whole idea that you think you've got this mysterious superpower, <clears throat> you don't. And that's the other thing. A lot of senior management in companies don't know what they're talking about mm-hmm. because they haven't learned all this new stuff. Mm. Right. So what they do is there are these six words that they use and you'll see these six words. We also use them all the time. Mm-hmm. They use data lake, personalization, platform, disruption, you know, there are these six words. Right. Mm. And I said, you take away those six words. You don't even have a presentation. you got buzzword bingo. Mm. Yeah. 
Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I literally play buzzword bingo in presentations just to hear mm -hmm. these words. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. Rishad, I, I want to get back to and unpack even more deeply <clears throat> this, this um, spectrum that you've described where, and I've seen this too, being an executive coach, right. getting exposed to a lot of different businesses. Some are completely metric driven where all they care about is the OKRs and the KPIs. And that's how they make decisions with firing and hiring and what have you. And then there's other ones that are much more um, people leadership oriented, uh, culture oriented, but they don't track things. They don't track metrics. And I've seen that side also. Yeah. Can you explain in more specifics and unpack what does coming to the middle look like for all the leaders that are listening to this or managers or, or what have you listening to the show right now? What does coming to balance look like where you have the human, the soul of the business and the data and the metrics? How can you share some more examples of how they sure. can work together? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what you basically tend to do is you you look at you first collect as much data as you possibly can, right? And at some particular stage you stop because one of the first diseases is I need one more piece of data to make a decision. I've right. come okay, down with that one a few times. By the, by, you'll, you'll be dead by the time you wait for that. Okay, so just say, okay, this is now we got we we got what we got we got right. So unless there's some like amazing piece of data that you know is mis missing, right? You've got you got to make your decision with what you got. So that's number one, which is stop. Okay, mm -hmm. at some particular say stop collecting and constantly waiting. That's number one. Number two is make sure you have diverse points of view in the room. So make sure that you have people who are good at data, analytics, creative, make sure you also have diversity of backgrounds. Because yeah. sometimes mm -hmm. diversity of backgrounds reads things very differently. Yeah. Okay, so, so, so have that. The third is ask yourself, is the data actually answering any of my questions, right? Or am I trying to get answers from data that have got nothing to do with my questions? Yeah. Because sometimes my whole stuff is, you're looking for the data to point the way, but where exactly are you going? Mm. Right? And, and so what were you trying to do? Uh, is this data sort of looking at it or not looking at it? The fourth one is <clears> ask <throat> a very simple question. This is an instinctive question. Does this feel right? Does this feel like what people would normally do? You know, if you just put that filter, which this says this, and I do this, doesn't mean that the data is wrong, but if everybody in the room basically does one thing and the data says something else, maybe the data isn't right, right? Or you'll have got a very non-diversified group of just one type of monkeys or monkeys, mm -hmm. that's another one. And the, the last one, which is the one that's extremely very important is interrogate and try to see a simple question, which is, was there something that the data indicated that makes you think differently about the entire project? Because sometimes what you do is you start getting data to answer one question and it actually reveals something that basically says the question you were asking is wrong. Correct. Mm, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and that is the single <clears throat> biggest use of data. So actually the single best use of data is when data questions itself. Hmm. And that is all the human condition of people asking those things together. Yeah, we're even asking the right questions and yeah. having going back to that meta space to look, relook and examine what we're interacting with and how we're approaching something.
Yeah, yeah. How, how much does context have to, context and experience have to do with this? Uh, you, you're you're bang on, and I was I actually wrote what you suggested right. down. Um, but I do have to ask you the question because what are the variables then? I mean, what what makes it go in the right direction or the flip side? Um, it, it 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 basically the 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 three key variables. The first one is people, making sure you have a diverse group of people in the room or diverse group of people are looking at the data if you're not having all in the room. Yeah. And by diverse, I mean two types of diversity, diversity in skill set and diversity of background. Mm -hmm. uh, and most importantly, ask your data scientists, if you have data scientists, the best data scientists have two amazing superpowers, which we never asked them for, which they mm -hmm. do have, right? One is they're in, in amazingly curious people. Right. And yeah. so you basically say, you shared us this data. Can you, if, what else could we find in this? If you were curious about it, what else mm -hmm. is missing? You know, so the, ask them to think about their curiosity hat. Yeah. Right. The other one is ask them not to show you the numbers after they've showed you the numbers. You've shown the numbers. Say, so close the numbers, put off the slide. Please tell me a story. Mm. What did that just tell us? Mm -hmm. Don't use right. the numbers. Tell me what it said. Right. Yeah. Right. The best data scientists actually are amazing, very curious and very good communicators, but mm -hmm. we reduce them into like math machines. Mm -hmm. Of course they do that. That's one right. of the key things that I've discovered. And that's what, so making sure, and then obviously you've got a creative type where you've got different types of people, but then also background, you know, there've been things, and this is not necessarily a data thing. It's in my book. You know, there was this infamous co commercial after not this Black Lives Matter, but like two years ago, or so when Pepsi ran a commercial with Kylie Jenner and she basically brought about peace by giving policemen, you know, right. died Pepsi or whatever. And <laughs> that would never have happened if there was an African-American in the room. Huh. Or if there was an African-American in the room, if they had had the voice or been given the ability to speak. Right. Right. I'm not saying they were not in the room. But what tends to basically happen is another big thing I've always tell people is do not stop with diversity of faces. This is the other thing right. with data, mm -hmm. right? It's very important to have diversity of voices. Too many companies are making sure that they've got the faces around the table, nice. but yeah, not yeah. the voices around the table. Well said. Yeah, we used, to, we used to say, do you have a seat at the table, but do you really have a voice at the table? Yes. Um, because, you know, that's that's always a conundrum. Yeah. Um, the... the, the uh, the other part of this really is, and I think when we did our briefing call with you, this is going back quite a few weeks. So I think what really touched both Rick and I, and we've been thinking about it quite a lot, really, is these four questions. I think you have a great you have a great ability to make things uh, sound way more compelling, don't you, uh, Richard? So you're you're a fantastic communicator and a mathematician. So you're, you're essentially you, you're sort of describing yourself and that's fantastic. And uh, you, you came up with four questions. I'm not going to steal your thunder. If if you could, please tell us why you think think these questions are important. Why now? Um, and then we can go into the application of it for, for a lot of our straight talkers out there. So the four questions that you talked about. Yeah, so I mean, the, the, the four broad questions that people are asking these days are, help me think about the future, mm -hmm. is one question. What does the future look like? Help me think about it. And... 
And they specifically say, don't give me a whole bunch of Forrester reports and trend reports and McKinsey DAX. That isn't helping me do anything, mm -hmm. right? Uh, help me think about it in a usable way. The second question is, how do I manage change so it sucks less? Okay, how do I manage change so it sucks less for my company, for my teams, and for myself? Mm -hmm. The third question that people ask is, how do I lead better? Mm -hmm. uh, and the last is, how do I upgrade my mental operating system and how do I remain relevant in changing times? Uh, mm -hmm. And what I've discovered is those are actually the four big questions that mm -hmm. every individual in a company or institution or a community is asking. At the heart is, I'm going to live in the future. How do I think about it? Obviously, I'm in a world of change and change is perpetual, but it's not easy. Mm -hmm. How do I deal with it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to be a leader at minimum I'm leading myself. What do good leaders look like? How do I deal with leaders? And the last one is the world is changing so fast. If I don't watch it, I'll become irrelevant. How do I grow my skill sets? Mm. And I figured out that those are the four things. So whenever I speak to people, I try to touch on one, two, three, or all four, because mm. that's really what they care about. They don't care about me. They don't care what I'm talking about. They're basically saying, can you help us with these four? Mm. Given where we are with um, the, the pandemic, and it's been about a year or so now, yeah. which one of these areas, questions, do you believe is, um, is sort of shining its head above the parapet? Which, which one is more urgent, more important? They all are, no doubt. But which one are you seeing being more of a concern, given where we're headed? How do, uh, the, the simple question is, how do I change myself to perform in a changed world? Mm -hmm. It's the last one, okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the last one actually requires you to think a little bit about the other three, right? Mm -hmm. Because the world has changed, so what does the future look like? That's very quickly, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It basically says, okay, I got to now get there. How the hell do I do it? And yeah. then what do I do? It doesn't talk that much about leadership, but that's what it is. And in March of last year, I wrote this piece called The Great Reinvention, or in April. And... Uh, I sort of surmised that COVID was going to be deeper, longer, and bigger, and more dramatic than anybody thought. Mm -hmm. um, so I believed it was going to run for many, many months, which it mm -hmm. has. You know, it's now 12 months since I wrote that, mm -hmm. and it's likely to be another six months. Mm -hmm. I said it was going to basically be a crisis that combined financial, economic, social, and health. Mm -hmm. um, and that it was going to basically touch every single person in the world. And because I've studied change, change happens when somebody stops or starts doing something for three months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have started or stopped doing things for 12 months already. Mm -hmm. Right. So therefore, any business plan written in December 2019 needs to be revisited. I'm not mm -hmm. saying it's irrelevant, but needs right. to be revisited because people have basically changed. And so... In that, the most important thing is I talk about how business changes, society changes, and people change. But I end up with this thing about, okay, how are you going to reinvent yourself for this mm -hmm. new world? Right. And, and oddly, like in this newsletter, the future doesn't fit in the containers of the past. Every second or third newsletter now actually speaks about what people need to do. Because I began to realize that that's what people are hungering for, mm -hmm. which is, what do I need to do to get better? So I've got into things like, which are somewhat uh, 
initially they sound very provocative and then after a minute or two you begin to believe they're not that provocative mm -hmm. but my you know i have a prov provocation which basically says all of us are gig workers but we don't know it yet mm -hmm. all and of us are gig workers but, gig we, workers, but we may not mm -hmm. know it yet right because okay. in our minds we think about gig workers as someone you know at uber or you know grubhub or things like that right mm -hmm. uh, but we don't think about mckinsey people as got you know as uh, gig workers we don't think of people who get together in a hollywood television set as gig workers but they are the only difference is your gigs are longer and you've got benefits mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But the reason I believe that we are gig workers and it's going to be very clear to us is uh, most of us who are in a, the type of industry that we are in, which is a white collar or thinking industry, are going to basically be working in distributed workplaces for the rest of our careers. So it's very unlikely that we are going to work 100 percent of our time in a location mm -hmm. like we used to. Right. Right. Some will be, but most we're going to basically go into a different form. And that different form, I don't even call hybrid. I call it the unbundled workplace. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so the unbundled workplace is some combination of home, office, a WeWork, and events and experiences yeah. somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, some combination of those four. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and if that is true, a company can get employees from anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. And you can get clients from anywhere in the world. Right. So the first thing is you've already become a gig worker because you've become right. one. Reaction. Companies are re-aggregating. Second is the world is moving so fast. What if people recognize successful companies manage what? Variable cost. Mm -hmm. The difference between Uber and Hertz is variable cost, right? Hertz owns the cars mm -hmm. and Hertz has employees and Hertz has gone bankrupt. That's a lot of overhead. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so in effect, what companies are going to basically do is say, we will pay you more, but we don't want to have you work all the time. Or if we're going to pay you to work all the time, we want you to switch projects as we want you to switch. Mm -hmm. Correct. F from year to year to year to year, because they're setting up the entire infrastructure. What's happened over the last year is people have basically set up the infrastructure for every company to be filled with gig workers. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in that, what do you do to survive and succeed in that world? So I'm writing mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. Right. And, yeah. and interestingly, those things you, we do, but we don't realize how important it is. So number one is you have to basically practice your craft and keep it current uh -huh. because no one is going to call you for a gig if it isn't relevant and you don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Second is you've got to build a brand because how do they know where you are and who you are, in, including in your own company? Mm -hmm. And third is you've got to have a very friendly API so people want to work with you. Mm -hmm. So you want to basically be a, like a cuddly squirrel versus a porcupine. Mm -hmm. which means so what does that mean it means build your skill sets build your reputation build your people skills mm -hmm. okay and and, and 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 if you don't do it you're going to become irrelevant so fast mm -hmm. you don't even know it mm -hmm. and so yeah. those are the kinds of things that people haven't actually thought about because this simple thing is you're in the unbundled workplace you are becoming a gig worker mm -hmm. in a world where people are managing variable costs and they can get employees from everywhere mm -hmm. yeah Got it. Yep. Yeah. And that's exactly mirroring my experience too, where, you know, employees, you don't have, you don't have to hire employees based on a geographical location anymore. So you, it can increase your level of talent and yep. experience and skill because you don't have the same boundaries and barriers that we used to have in those ways. 
uh, of managing remote and, and all the things that we can do now that yes. you're right. It's like liberated a lot of the mindset of, of corporations and small businesses too, um, exactly. all, all, exactly. all sizes. One of my questions to you is um, you talk about a lot of, you know, upgrading your skill sets and those kinds of things, which I totally agree. There also seems to be even things that come more upstream on the river before that around my behaviors, being able to pivot and shift and be adaptable as well as my mindset. And how do I upgrade my mindset? How do I upgrade my behaviors, not just my skills also? Do you get into that? Do you double click into those areas? And do you also get into I, 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 I how do to it, do it? And, yeah, yeah, so the, the, so I, I suggest three broad ones and then I specifically click below in each of them. Mm -hmm. So the three broad ones are investing one hour a day in learning every mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. uh, the second is from time to time, building a case for the exact opposite of what you believe. I love that. Uh, That's a good and, one. That's a good one. Right. Yeah. And the third is do just don't read or think. Nice. Take risks out there. Yeah. So so those those <laughs> are the three. Uh, so spending one hour, uh, I believe it's so critical primarily because um, <clears throat> you know, we spend an hour, some some of us spend an hour exercising to keep our bodies fit, which is why I call a physical operating system very important if you're dead. Yeah you're dead, nothing matters. But what separates us from monkeys is our minds. Do we spend enough time thinking about what goes into our minds and how we study and what we do? So think a lot about that, not only spending, but it's like, are you gonna let your mind be colonized by a social media feed, hmm. right? right? Or are you gonna figure out how to filter a social media feed so it works for you versus you work for it? Hmm. You know, those kinds of things, right? Hmm. Uh, the second one is to build a case for the exact opposite of what you believe. That's the way I made those recommendations for these big, mm. you know, MA things. And anytime there's a big decision, I make the, it's, you know, people sometimes say, have a sheet of paper and put the pluses and minuses. This is that, but it's basically building a case, not pluses and minuses. Why your case is true. And then the, the next time the other case is completely true. Uh, why that is extremely important, it makes your mind flexible, it makes you think in different ways, and it makes it much easier for you to sell. Because whoever yeah. you're selling to, you've figured out what their opposition might be, right. and you've already spoken to it. And the mm -hmm. fact that you've thought from their perspective mm -hmm. signals empathy and understanding more than you saying you're empathetic and understanding. Correct. Right. 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 And then the last one is do. What is tending to basically happen is uh, I've continued whenever there is there's certain things I can't do. Obviously, I, I, can't, I tried writing code too hard, so forget that, okay? But there's certain things I can do. So whenever there is a new technology and I think there may be something interesting in it, I just don't read about it, I use it. And that's one of the reasons, like I found in my learning, I found writers I admired. Some of them were starting to basically go into business themselves. And I came across this thing called Substack. Mm -hmm. So I went to do some investigation on Substack and I said, I'm gonna do my own, right? That was doing. And that quickly became from an experiment to basically an asset, mm. right? What was an experiment where I started writing became someone that people wanted to read. And that's the reason I'm mm. on the show, for instance, mm. right? Mm. And, mm. and in six months, it went from here is an experiment that I might do to a once a week mm. piece of writing that on an average week has between 10 to 15,000 readers. Amazing. Okay. Mm -hmm. But in effect, by doing it, I'm beginning to learn a lot of the implications on media, on marketing. Mm -hmm. So by, because I'm now learning, because I'm actually, mm -hmm. so, so the whole idea is 
spend some time learning, mm. build the opposite case. But by the way, do activate because mm. that not only gives you both you fall down and things like that, but it gives you credibility. Nothing in today's world, one of the reasons, for instance, I believe the McKinsey's and all are having trouble. And obviously they're, they're having a massive internal cultural issue. Yeah. Massive, massive. Yeah. You know, they just replaced their leader. They've got <laughs> massive reputation. They're a fantastic company with amazing people. But one of the reasons is they don't do. Mm. In today's world, if you cannot activate, nobody wants you. Correct. There's only so much you can do for thinking. Can you get it done? If you've got world-class thinking, two hours of world-class thinking will require 200 years of work. Where Who's going to do the work? Yeah. yeah. But more importantly, if you aren't doing in a world that's changing so fast, how do you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's the piece around execution. I mean, right. and, you know, because at the end of the day, I think we're, uh, the point you're making is we're, we're dealing with a compound level of uh, uncertainty, right, over the past uh, months right. and yes, new habits have been created. It takes three months to build these habits. Now we've 12 months, new behaviors, new habits. Um, the, the one point, the one point with all of this, and this is super valuable, but I'm just playing devil's advocate yeah. for a moment because you've inspired me to do that. Um, there are people in big jobs on big salaries who've been doing these jobs for a long time. And what they've been fed mentally for many years is I get a big job. I get a big salary. I'd, you know, in the old days used to get on planes and have big Amex cars and stuff all gone for a while. Uh, but I have this massive team and you feel good about that and you feel a sense of confidence. But deep down, you're also fearing the fact that you're out of touch because this stuff is going on outside of the company like big companies, tech titans, social media posts, startups doing this, X, Y, and Z. And you almost feel like, well, actually, what's going to happen to me um, when, God forbid, I was to apply for a job? And what's happening now because of the rate at which companies are, are becoming insolvent is that those executives are getting fired, right? Yes. They're getting fired because the businesses don't need them, whether it's a technology replacement or it's a financial decision. And those people are coming onto the market. I know many of them, by the way, and they're C-level people as you would and as, as, yeah. as Rick would. And those people are stuck. Uh, Richard, they're stuck, as you know, right? Yeah. And they're stuck. And I want to touch on an important point around ego, because you talked about porcupine versus cuddly yeah. and cozy. Um, and they don't know how to detach from that sort of almost mildly arrogant leadership style. I remember I was in my corporate days, I was almost coached to do that. I used to work for a big uh, consultancy and they used to tell us how we're the best, invincible. Uh, and we're almost, you know, it was a narcissistic existence that five, that took me five years to get over, frankly. Yeah. And uh, let's and be honest. Yeah. So it's a very good point. And I see those same people and, you know, Thank God, like 15, 20 years ago, I woke up and made sure I wasn't one of those people. And I continue, yeah. even though I'm no longer working, <laughs> I like, I, you know, I hustle to make sure I, mm. I'm not that person, though now I supposedly don't have to work, but I still am hustling, right? Yeah. The, the, the reason, the thing that the three big changes, and I work with all of these folks, and I say, look, here's what's happened. We have gone from old scale to new scale. And you were built and you judged yourself on old scale. Right. At old scale, it's not not mat not it's not does not matter, but it matters less and less, especially in some industries. So the old scale was scale of manufacturing, mm -hmm. scale of spending, 
scale of distribution and scale of resources. Right. So you were a senior person who had 50 people reporting to you, a big fat budget, factories that could make a whole bunch of stuff and you could distribute it across Walmart, mm-hmm. right? Or wherever. You're, you're, and so you said, I'm there. So there's a new type of scale that's coming. I'm not saying that isn't important, but it's a new scale. And that is the scale of data, the scale of networks, the scale of influence, and the scale of talent and ideas. Mm. And none of the scale... Uh, for instance, none of the scale big cosmetic companies, L'Oreal or Coty, created any billion dollar brands recently, mm-hmm. right? Those were created by Kylie Jenner and Kim Kardashian and other people. And they basically right. had less than 50 employees. They used Shopify as distribution. Yeah. They had Instagram accounts, mm-hmm. right? Dollar Shave Club basically took away 15 share points from P&G with no Walmart distribution, no television advertising. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. and, and, and so what, and again, I'm not saying, and the best companies have old and new scale, but what is tending mm-hmm. to happen is when it comes down to management and people like that, said so we have really moved from an era that we got, we were used to, which is I call the zone of control era mm-hmm. to now a zone of influence era. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And so what basically begins to happen is I could make a very simple case. Like I'm a company of one. I've got mm-hmm. nobody reporting to me. Right. I have no district. I've got nothing. On the other hand, because of a few things I've done, of which only one of those happens to be this newsletter. Mm-hmm. Right. I influence 15 to 20,000 people every week. Mm-hmm. But I have nobody. Right. I influence more people than most CEOs in my old company do. Mm-hmm. Right. With and through year something, gain year something, year something. <laughs> so I said that. If you had that, plus you had your zone of control, remember how powerful you can be. Mm-hmm. But if you were trying to decide between zone of influence and zone of control, you should have zone of influence because zone of influence is mobile with you. Mm-hmm. Zone of control is stuck with the goddamn company. Mm-hmm. So you are a slave and servant to your institution. You are no longer, you've lost control because you have no power. You have a title. You're not a leader. You, you have a title. Yeah. yeah. Right. And people are worshiping the title, not you. The mm-hmm. moment you're stripped away from the title, you're useless. Mm-hmm. And in a world where zone of influence becomes important, you better wake up. And that's what I'm helping them get there. Mm-hmm. And since some, like, someone like me, like a dullard like me could do it, they can do it too. So yeah. I show them how it gets done. Yeah. Do you get pushed? Sorry, go on. Go on. Yeah, right. I, I just love that distinction so much. Um, even the geometry of that, because they're both about power. Right. If you yeah. kind of summarize both, they're really about power and control. The geometry of it is, you know, one that condenses on itself. And I need things from people to feel in control. I need it to manage it a certain way. But influence is a geometry that goes outward yes. that it impacts people exponentially. It's a whole different dynamic. And, and it way. scales, it scales tremendously. Scales. And exactly. what begins to happen is it's always a double win. You know, it's a, the, that's the big thing that I've learned about writing. If you write well, right. Mm-hmm. Both the writer and the reader benefits. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because something new is created. So it isn't like I'll take, you know, etc. So a lot of those things people have to remember. And the other is a zone of influence creates abundance. And if it creates abundance, mm-hmm. you can be generous. And if you get yeah. generous, you build goodwill, which builds your brand. You can yeah. never build your brand just by burnishing it through social media usage. You mm-hmm. gotta have some innate goodwill where people actually like you. 
Yeah. Right. Otherwise, they basically think like you're like a self-promoting huckster. Right. Yeah. 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 It's like the it's it's the there's a question coming in, but that's the old days where, um, I, you know, and I, I, I was a lot of my grooming happened through the normal channels. You know, you went to certain universities, you learn from certain professors and the old days Porter Porter's five forces was was amazing. And you're, you're following all of these thought leaders. I, I sometimes think when we're having this STL it's been a it's a one year journey now and great people like you come on this show that entire paradigm has is is switched and really i mean what we were taught you know i'm 42 i mean so I'm, I'm i'm still relatively young in the grand scheme of things but i'm still a product of the past and fortunately events happen in my life and rick's life and we ended up doing different things like you had the realization yeah. 15 20 years ago however that may have come about I think our job, our mission really is to try and support somehow those people who are willing, and I, I have to underscore this with who are willing and have some acceptance that uh, shit, there is a different world out there. I need to get ready for it because there's still a lot of people are still caught up in, well, you, this is just another fad, son. I've been here for the last 30 years, you know, kind yes. of thing. So, so the, the two things really, one <clears throat> is the fat, the, the fewer and fewer of those people, especially if you buy them two or three drinks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what I used to do, this is yeah, days funny. where we used to meet people. I would basically meet with a lot of senior management, have a couple <clears throat> of drinks and say, what is bothering you? And they would always basically say, I'm a little bothered. I mean, outside of like, Hey, your agency sucks or something else. They would basically, yeah. you know, they'd basically say to me, one of my concerns always is that I'm growing increasingly irrelevant. Right. Okay, but you need yeah. two or three drinks, you know, one of those things. Right. Uh, and so then I would say, here's some things that you can basically do. So uh, from Facebook also, there's a question just on the same thing. Sure. Uh, is, is if you're talking to one of these leaders who's recently out of a job, asking for a friend, what's the one thing that will make the biggest difference for that person who's trying to reinvent and upgrade themselves? So the one thing that I would do is I would do a nine word exercise. So I've had the benefit and the privilege of guiding hundreds of executives in transition. Okay. Uh -huh. And I consider now it a privilege because if you do it well, they like you forever, wherever they show mm, up. That's right? a good point. Um, and I provide a lot of different advice, but the one piece of advice I provide to everybody is do a nine word exercise. And this is what the nine word exercise is. Find out, come up with three words that you believe you are very good at doing. What's your niche? So I'll do it for myself just to show you how it works, right? So I believe, and I've been told about future change and innovation is my niche. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So three words. So you say, this is what I'm really good at. Mm -hmm. Then who are you? What's your voice? Which is when people say, who are you? This, you've got to basically ask people who know you, uh, a partner, you know, employees, uh, in my case, and they sound somewhat boastful, but that's what people have told me, so I'll take it, is authentic, provocative, and inspirational. Mm -hmm. So that's my voice. Mm -hmm. And then three words that describe your story, which is, why should I believe you? Mm -hmm. And in my case, it's global, which is, I grew up in India, work in the United States for a French company. Mm -hmm. I traveled 140 flights a year everywhere, so that's global. Mm -hmm. I'm a mongrel. The mm -hmm. sexier word of that might be hybrid. Mm -hmm. which is I've done lots of different things, including staff jobs and operational jobs, big companies, small companies, inside a company, media, mm -hmm. creative, digital. And the last is reinventing. While I spent 38 years in one company, it looks like every three, four years I was joining a new company or doing something new. So those are my words. So those mm -hmm. are my nine words. Why is this important? Think of these nine words. If you bring it down, it's the framing device by which you sell yourself to companies, mm -hmm. right? 
So you have these, I'm not saying you have to use these nine words, but you, you've, if you have these three words, these are three things I'm really good at. This is who I am. This is the three words that describe my story. It's so much easier to frame yourself quickly. That's number one. But as importantly, almost anybody in transition with a little bit of hope and luck, which is what I tell people, that's all you need. You are likely to have more than one opportunity mm. in time. You may have two or three. Then you use those nine words to filter the opportunity. So it's the same nine words I use for framing and for filtering. It's very hard to do. I've just, what I've explained seems to be very simple, but do the nine word exercise and it will really, really help you. Mm. Mm. Wonderful. Nine words. I think we're all. I love that. Well, yeah, it's fantastic. There's a question from Catherine. Um, thank, uh, Thanks and I'm talking about willingness shifting. Thanks for losing your. I was making sure it's not incriminating. Thanks for losing your executive arrogance, and now talking about willingness and shifting. Following Richard's, uh, following Richard allowed me uh, a major shift in mindset and path among a group who are increasingly irrelevant. What is the biggest shift you all see next year? Ah, okay. We can all try and answer that, but we'll go, Richard. Why don't you start? So I, I believe the single biggest shift that we're going to basically see next year is almost every person and every company will ask the following questions. Number one, do I feel safe? Number two is how can I secure my future? And number three is the company I'm going to do business with or I'm working with, is it doing good for society? Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So you've cut, you've covered most of them. So that's fantastic. And you're, you're bang on. Um, Rick, what about you? Yeah, I would say <clears throat> along those lines, um, what I see is a shift towards meaning. How do we make meaning from our choices and make sure we're in alignment with that professionally, personally, and how does that then ripple out to our connection to our environment, to nature, to all the things that we currently have, um, unhelpful relationships with right now that are showing their, the data is showing, as we say. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's a move towards meaning and people are willing to make those hard choices, even if they get paid less, that that mm -hmm. trend's going to continue. And therefore a culture needs to stay relevant and stay meaningful in order to attain that kind of talent. Mm. Um, I would add <clears throat> something which talks to both your points, which is uh, multiple streams of income. I think the gig economy will give birth to uh, firstly, it'll it'll detach one from the business card and almost create a virtual ambidextrous business card where you are different things for different people in different jobs in different countries. Um, but I think more importantly, you're going to start to make money in different ways. Uh, a thousand here, two thousand there, five hundred here, six thousand here, or whatever the numbers are. And I think we will start to accept that as the new way of living and existing. Um, and I'm excited about that because it means you can work in Parma or you can work in Barbados and continue to do all of the great work that you do as an expert. So that's what I would say, Catherine. So hopefully that answers your question. Um, we're coming to the hour and um, are we at the hour? We have five minutes to go. Um, Richard, it's been, a, it's been amazing talking to you and there's so much more than I know we want to uh, extract in the nicest possible way and other questions come in but um, your newsletter it, it really is quite a powerfully written piece of 
work there seriously and there are a lot of newsletters out there and you know we're not just saying it I really genuinely because you know I subscribe to loads of them of course as you can imagine there's a usual sort of usual suspects and I've deleted most of them because uh, you know just time in my life where some of them aren't relevant but I your, I came across yours accidentally and I thought that's interesting um your name was interest I got captivated by your name first let's I'll be honest I thought that's an interesting surname and then I read your work and every and I keep getting the emails actually and it's kind of a regular thing that I do now because I like the way you're writing about issues that matter to us and STL Straight Talk Live we've got a group called Maverick Leaders where in fact we'd love to invite you to that it's still on WhatsApp for now we might move to another platform but it's it's a group of uh, somewhere between 50 and 70 very very um, accomplished and aspiring mavericks who want to do things differently in this new world that awaits us whenever it happens in, in, in its full form. And we need people like you to inspire us. You've got so much experience and, and, and stories to tell. So today has been wonderful for, for all of us. Thank you. Um, and before you close off and you say whatever you want to say, um, um, Mosaic Career. Okay, got it. Um, anything you want to finish off with before Rick takes us to the next episode and tells us about what's happening next week? No, I would just say two quick things. One is thank you for having me. And obviously, congratulations on the new birth. Uh, thank you. Which is, which is important. And for those who, you know, uh, want to get the thought letter or the newsletter, it's at rishad.substack.com. So that's R-I-S-H-A-D.substack.com. It's completely free. So yeah. you can get it there. And we're going to have you on our, we have a speaker's page, Rishab, uh, for, yeah. for all the listeners. And sure. we will have your details on the speaker's page, your email address, the whole contact piece. So people can get hold of you through the STL speaker's page as well. So thank you so much. Real pleasure. Um, Rick, over to you, my friend. Yeah, I just want to see, is there any other place where people can should go to find you and your work besides your blog post? Any, any other areas you want to point uh, them to? The, the, the best place to go basically is my website, which is mm -hmm. just rishadtobaccoella.com. Or if you Google me, it shows up very high in the first mm -hmm. or second thing. And there you can basically see everything from recent writing to stuff about my book. Uh, you know, if you go put my R-I-S-H-E-D on Amazon, you can get my book. That would be great. Every mm -hmm. book helps. Excellent. Uh, but that's basically it. Okay. And do you have any final words for all the listeners out there who've been going through struggling times and they want to upgrade themselves? Um, what, would be, what, would, what would be the general thing that you would say to them right now? I would say, first of all, be kind to yourself. What you're going through is very human. Mm -hmm. So don't like berate yourself because these are very difficult times for everybody. Uh, and then the second is just, you know, spend time as much as you possibly can uh, to learn and to continue to build a network and be patient. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the whole point mm -hmm. of a mosaic career is absolutely true. Think about the fact that you may actually before you get a full-time job, you may actually re-aggregate a full-time job by having a few small jobs. And it's mm -hmm. easier for you to sell parts of yourself than your entire self. Mm. Mm. So much wisdom. And I so appreciate how you break that down into simple action steps. You've done <clears> that throughout <throat> the show. So super relatable. Um, we'd love to have you back at some point. Absolutely. And thank you for being part of our Straight Talk Live community and our mosaic as well. Thank you. And um, actually, this piggybacks really nicely to next episode, which is about storytelling, which we actually talked a lot about today. And so we have a storytelling expert who's worked with Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, a lot of great companies and small startups around the world around how do you actually get into the heart of storytelling, which is the heartbeat of influence, which is exactly what we talked about today. So we're going to get a lot more detail into how do you, you know, how do you elicit your story, your company's story, um, what happens when stories diverge? 
we're going to get all into those amazing topics uh, that get at the soul of a company that can then bring influence. So please stay tuned to next, next week's episode. Thank you all straight talk livers out there. Congratulations against F um, for bringing a beautiful boy into the world and me as well. Thank and um, all the thank best you. to everyone. Yeah. Thank you very thank much. You. Cheers guys. Richard, thank you. Appreciate and it. Thank you very much. Richard. Bye -bye. Thank you.